This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. All right, we're back with our fourth straight loss uh, for our Forever Mighty podcast and post-game show. Tough game again, I guess kind of expected. Uh, and, and I guess for everybody listening, it, as you can tell, since I'm leading off the show, Patrick isn't here tonight, uh, so you're going to have to deal with us two instead. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, you, I guess you want to say expected this game, but another disappointing one. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, um, the score is uh, very similar to the last time they played Dallas, although at least in that one it was uh, at least a one-goal game going, you know, late in the uh, third period. But this one was just uh, more of the same. Uh, I mean, it was uh, hard to even stick around in the third at that point, being down 5-2. Uh, it's it's just watching the, the same mistakes day in, day out. And uh, whoever's out there, it seems to be the same people, just over and over and over again. Um, not a whole lot to be really happy about. <laughs> no, it, it really isn't. And, and I mean, you, you look going into this game, some of the things that, uh, some of the news I guess we had, John Gibson's in net again, which I guess is no surprise. Uh, the way he's been playing, even the way he played in this game, despite the scoreline. Uh, Maxim Comtois, though, day-to-day with a lower body injury. We got a little bit of that news, I think, after the last game against Chicago, and then it was confirmed earlier today by Eric Stevens and Elliot Tiford. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then an interesting stat I put out the other day. Interesting but also disappointing. The Ducks have allowed 25 slot shot attempts against in 10 consecutive games. The record is 11 by the 2017 <laughs> Arizona Coyotes. So, when you're in the same company as the 2017 Arizona Coyotes, that's uh, that's never a good thing. Yeah, didn't the Coyotes start like zero uh, and twelve or something like that? I mean, they, they were so horrific. So. Yeah, I, I mean, anytime you're in company with the Coyotes from like the last five years, it's mm-hmm. never a good thing. Uh, so, I mean, looking at that stat, it was pretty bad. They actually didn't do it tonight, which was yeah, which was surprising, out. but. <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, then looking at some of the other news, we had Suster and Blanzisi were scratched. Uh, obviously, uh, Maxim Kamtov wasn't playing as well, so Gibbons draws back in. Radulov is out for Dallas, which at the beginning of the game seemed like a good thing the way they were playing. Sagan, Ben, mm-hmm. and Radulov had combined for 29 points on this team, and then the rest yeah. of the forwards were 19 points. And then they all decided to wake up in this game, and yeah. I think... I, I don't even know if Sagan and Ben had points, and if they did, most of the goal scoring or all of the goal scoring came from the rest of the top nine. Yeah, it kind of had a uh, similar feel to um, when they played Vegas, and the Vegas fourth line with uh, Ryan Reeves uh, started you know, netting goals. And it's just like, it's kind of weird whenever the Ducks play. I always, I always see this. It always seems to happen year in, year out. They'll play and they'll be, you know, somewhere in the middle of the season or, you know, uh, you know, at least a few games in and it never fails. They give up the first career goal to, 
you know, X, Y, and Z player. Or, oh, that's his first goal in 400 games or whatever it is. It's like the Ducks are the ones to allow that to happen. And, uh, yeah, you can tell all five goal scorers that was their uh, – they had zero goals coming – or I'm sorry, all four goal scorers yeah. had zero goals coming into this game. So it's more of the same. Yeah, and then, I mean the last pre or pregame news we had uh, is Isaac Lindstrom playing in his ninth game this season. If you don't know why that's a big deal, it means if he plays another game after this, he burns a year off his entry level contract, just like Maxim Comtois did last game. Uh, interesting that they have still decided to keep him up. I don't know if he stays past for the tenth game with Eves and with Kasher likely to return soon, but they're right against it now. So I guess we'll know on Sunday if he ends up uh, pushing past that or not yeah i i don't i think they probably just gave him his last little game in there to just see exactly what he can do uh, but i think uh both eves and kasha were on the uh trip you know many little two-game trip and now they're coming back home so it seemed like they were kind of on the cusp and uh they were allowing lindstrom to kind of get one more game in there see if there's something going to happen and uh given what happened this game i I think they probably wouldn't want to burn that since they already burned uh, Comtois' uh, first year. So I feel like they'll probably just kind of let him go back and do his uh, competition over in the Swedish Elite League. I think so. I mean, it would make more sense than anything. I, I never really saw them burning either year off mm-hmm. either of the guy's contract now. Like, I mean, Comtois, the way he started, you kind of expected it. Lindstrom, not that he's played bad. I think defensively he's been great. But he's only got the one assist through nine games now. So I think... Mm-hmm. When the other guys come back, even if they're not ready for the next game, I think it just makes sense to uh, send them back to Sweden. Um, yeah, we need offense. And, yeah. uh, those guys coming back are going to they hopefully should be bringing some more of that offense. And uh, you're going to kind of jam up at center, and they're trying to put them on the wing already. And so yeah. now it's, it's they're, they're trying to find a place for them. I don't think it's going to work. No. I mean, this is a bottom third offense already, and uh, they just got lit up today, which isn't a surprise. But let's get into this first period here. Uh, it really starts with a goal because not much happened up until the goal. There was three shots for Dallas, zero for Anaheim. And then you get into the goal and just a mess of a play. Uh, <laughs> Luke Shen tries to clear the zone. Doesn't happen. Lindstrom tries to pick up the puck. Doesn't happen there either. And then Dickinson picks it up and he just walks in by himself. Luke Shen doesn't really want to get back. Then he forces Marcus Pedersen to decide to either play the pass or play the shot he chooses wrong. He lets Dickinson literally walk in one on Gibson, and it's yeah. an, it's an easy play for him. Yeah, I mean, uh, this is going to be a common theme uh, that uh, all of you will hear me and Eddie say. Uh, that defense, and especially that third uh, pairing defense, uh, just didn't seem to want to engage or play smart for all that matter. They They just kind of try to chase everything and they're just making mistakes can't get the puck out of the zone can't defend him properly and and shen i don't know what he was doing he's supposed to be a bigger guy and he just he, he was being out muscle for most of the game yeah i mean he ends up being directly responsible for the first two goals uh i mean you, i guess you can blame Lindstrom a bit there because he also doesn't clear the zone but it was shen who was uh the guy who's supposed to have the zone exit there, and it doesn't happen. And he, then he gets caught on the 2-on-1 on as well. But then uh, it goes the other way, and Ryan Getzlaff ends up tying the game, I guess, against really the pace of play at this point. I mean, the Ducks were getting outshot 5-1, to one, and Ryan Getzlaff ends up going all the way down the ice. And it's a turnover by the Stars. Yeah. Radic Faxa turns the puck over behind the net to Getzlaff. 
and uh, he finally shoots the puck because he has no other option to in this case. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And it's a great shot. It's, it's uh, tied at one. Yeah, I mean, that's good. And it's glad to see him get his first goal of the season. So I guess all five goal scorers in this game for a total of both teams score their first goals of the season. But what's kind of interesting and, and kind of sad or disappointing is that uh, with Raquel's goal against Chicago and Getzloff's first goal here, the Ducks haven't created a goal off of any of their own zone pressure, five-on-five play, or even the power play. Uh, it's been the other team just turned it over, and then you know, the guys with the magic hands, uh, Raquel and Getzloff, are able to make something happen out of that because yeah. right now no one else seems to be doing that, and we can't seem to do anything offensively that's going to generate our own offense. We're almost relying on turnovers at that point to really create anything. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, again, it's a great shot by by Ryan Getzlaff, but you're right. Uh, they did nothing on that play to contribute to the offense. They had one shot on goal leading up to that point. I, th- I believe this goal was seven minutes into the first period, which isn't surprising this year. But again, they, they did nothing up until that point, and and it was really a turnover from Radic Faxer right to Ryan Getzlaff, where he has all day to walk in and, and have an easy shot on on Bishop. on Ben Bishop. So it's a good shot, yeah. but I mean. It was it was also kind of a good shot, and from Ben Bishop's perspective too, he was kind of like he was re- kind of ready for it. And then um, I, one of the Dallas defenders kind of moves right in front of him, uh, a little bit higher up, and that seemed to just kind of freeze him for a second. So Getzloff yeah. picked a good time to fire it, and you didn't see Bishop really chase the puck. He just kind of knew it was going to his left, but had no real clear look at it because at the moment of truth, that's when his light is. Light of sight was taken away by his own defenseman. He even kind of gave him a little bit of a stare down after that. <laughs> yeah, and, and then it's right back to the stars after that because Jason Spetsa gets a really good chance in front. I'm not sure who set him up with the pass, but he gets a tip pretty much about a foot in front of John Gibson, and uh, yeah. he gets the gloves. I don't know if it goes into his glove, but he's in, <laughs> he's in the position to at least make the save, which, I mean, we've seen from him all season. Yeah, and he was he was about to move and slide with the play, and that little deft deflection could have been something that was going to be tough. I, his glove was in a good position as he was moving. If he was kind of like had his glove down a little bit, that makes it a little bit tougher that he's going to try and readjust to where it is, but that glove was already kind of in a high position as that shot came. So he made it look very routine, but that's kind of one of those little technique things that goalies need to do is they have to have their hands kind of up and active. They're down on the side when you're sliding those little deflections will kill you. So uh, another good technical move on it and a good stop that uh, you know would would have really sucked so close after Getzloff scored that we'd have you know uh, kind of that letdown that happens. Oh, but wait, not not too much later. Uh, <sighs> known goal scorer Roman Polak flies down the wing, beats uh, Kiefer <laughs> Sherwood, and speedster. He, yeah, and he he's in all. I mean, he he blows by Kiefer Sherwood, is in all alone, and roofs it back. And it's a great move from a guy you don't really expect it. But again, nobody's really helping out John Gibson. Luke Shen just kind of lost on this play, and then Kiefer mm-hmm. Sherwood just gets burned. And it's it doesn't look good when you're supposed to be a fast player in Sherwood's case, and you get burned by Roman Polak. There's that, and then once again. Yeah. Again, again is going to be that word that we don't need to say, and we'll just put it. Everyone else just hear again at the end of anything yeah. we say. Uh, the the ducks aren't playing big in front of the net either, and Shen is kind of that big guy. I mean, Manson can kind of be that guy too, but between Schuster and Shen, that's kind of the guy you, you would expect to maybe defend that middle. And he let Pollock walk right in, just like he didn't really want to bother going there and doing anything, just let him kind of move in. He, he went somewhere else to try and guard somebody who wasn't going to be much of a factor. 
it's just another poor decision and bad defense in front of Gibby, and you just feel so so bad for Gibson. <laughs> He's trying everything he can. Uh, he can't do it all. There, there's not much more the guy can do. We were, I think this was a game that we kind of expected was coming eventually. You know, a, a game where John Gibson didn't play bad, but the, the Ducks finally got blown out for five goals. And yeah. it was kind of eventually going to happen with the way they were playing. Um, and, and really, the rest of this first period was pretty much all Dallas. Not many chances for Anaheim. Lindstrom got a good chance at the end of the first period with some good puck movement, but he couldn't get all of it, so it's an easy save for Ben Bishop. And that was the story of the first period. Honestly, it was, it was pretty easy work for Ben Bishop other than the giveaway that Ryan Getzloff was able to put past him. The Stars outshot uh, the Ducks 12-5, to which is a trend we've seen all year. And as you said, again, we've, we, we're seeing this every game now. And uh, it continued a little bit into the beginning of the second period, but the Ducks were actually able to get a tying goal from who else but Ryan Getzloff again. Uh, this one... What you're talking about in the after the first goal is the Ducks actually worked a little bit to get this one. It was a good play to keep the puck in the zone. Ricard Raquel sets up Ryan Getzlaff from behind the net, and this is what we've been looking for from these guys: some kind of play, some kind of offense, like generation of offense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, Dallas played it maybe a little bit weak off of Getzlaff. They maybe thought, "All right, this guy's looking to pass," which he was looking for initially, and then he realized, "Oh, I've got some room." So he walks in and does a good job of putting it upstairs short side on a really tall goalie, Ben Bishop. So uh, he snipes that one. But, yeah, that was finally something that, that got worked. It went behind the net. Raquel throws it back to Getzloff. Richie's kind of in there in front battling a little bit. He fortunately doesn't get in the way, I think, because he's a lot thinner now. So it goes <laughs> right in front of him and just over the shoulder of Ben Bishop. So uh, Bishop, it could have come a bit more aggressive. But, uh, once again, I think the defense kind of – Gabe gets off enough room and time to decide where he wanted to put it. Yeah, and a bit of a, a scrum ensued. This game got chippy, I think, after this goal, really. I mean, it continued yeah. throughout it, but uh, it really all starts from Richie shoving Lindell in front. And then <laughs> Faxa kind of just pulls Marcus Pedersen, who doesn't really look like he wants to fight, but he pulls him into a fight. And, I mean, he Faxa has his way with him. doesn't really go that yeah. far. But yeah. uh, it was right, like right here. That's where it got chippy after this play. Did you see Ben come flying in? Like, he came flying in after Getzloff. And Getzloff's like, what? 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 How is this happening to me? What am I doing here? <laughs> just like, he's Ben's barely just in there, as but... crazy as, uh, as Kessler and Perry and Getzloff and we've seen. Like, he'll, he fought uh, Miles Wood earlier this season. And that was one of the best yeah. fights of the season. Yeah, that was a good fight. I saw that one, too. Yeah, no, it was just crazy. It's like, yeah, but fortunately, I think uh, the one thing Shen finally did right is he held on real tight to Ben and wouldn't, wouldn't let him really kind of go after Getzloff too much. But, yeah, uh, it's weird. Richie was, was kind of doing that. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, it was kind of weird that everything kind of evened out because Gore Pedersen was just like, I don't want to do anything. Jersey gets pulled over his head. <laughs> He's just kind of absorbing punches around him. So, yeah, it was kind of weird. But, yeah, from that point, the, the tone was kind of set and uh, kind of continued kind of mostly through that period. Yeah, I mean, not too much after that. I mean, the chippiness continued because Fax and Yanmark get a little bit too close to Gibson. And Yanmark gets right in Gibson's face. I think Gibby kind of pulls his stick uh, on uh, Yanmark's ankle. He, like, hooks his, his, yeah, yeah, around his ankle. And that was because he kind of just, like, he stopped there. He didn't shower him with snow or anything. But he just stood there. And yeah. and you, you, got a, you got an appropriate amount of time after that. I mean, there's no rebound. There's no reason for you to be there anymore. You can go. And if you're not 
I mean, Gibby should have done something better. But if you watch him the whole time, he does that and then gets all hooked up. And then there's a little push. And Gibby's just, like, looking down at his glove with the puck. And he's just, oh, yeah, I'm not doing anything. But <laughs> yeah, the whole time, he's just, like, not letting go. But it was, uh, you know, it was interesting. He didn't get all that involved. Turns around, lets everyone else just fight by the side of his net. <laughs> so it's kind of funny to me. But. Yeah, I guess I didn't like it because he comes flying in, too. And that's yeah. where the brawls really started from there. And, and Yamark actually gets it on sports and, like, penalty on that but the power play lasted like 10 seconds because cam fowler gets a holding call which i guess was a good penalty because i think sagan was on a breakaway but yeah i mean yeah there's some that yeah you got to take at this point that really this power play for the ducks anyways not this specific one but this power play the unit both units uh, are yeah. horrible uh last this is um counting this game it's four games in a row four games no power play goals four straight losses too so it's um something's got to get better and something's got to get better on the power play something's gonna get better on the defense but specifically that power play if they're not scoring goals they were scoring goals a little bit earlier on the power play in the season and it resulted in winning some of these games by a goal or two so if that's not clicking everything else is going to kind of fall by the wayside because they're just not playing well enough to win yeah, and I, I mean, if you want a testament to how the Ducks can't finish plays, uh, we'll look at the next goal by Miro Heiskin, and it starts off with the great stretch pass from Ryan Getzlaff to somehow Josh Manson is up on the play, uh, yeah. and he just fumbles it. He just fumbles yeah. it, and then it goes all the way down the ice. Jason Spezza now, because Manson's up in the play, is two-on-one with Miro Heiskin, and, and mm. it's, a, it's an easy setup. Heiskin throws it into an empty net. Yeah, well, the thing was is Gibby almost had this he actually might have been better not even touching this because that pass comes all the way over and he and it gets thrown back quickly uh almost like he, the guy got it and just kind of threw it and uh but instead of going short side which is what most goal scorers would be trying to do in that in that moment ends up throwing it back against the grain and it was probably going wide but gibby was you know he was so much on spezza that he was he wasn't quite all the way over by the time that puck came back Kind of hit him in the arm, the glove, and the leg, and then just trickles past him over. But it was kind of one of those just weird things where Gibson, he's trying to get over as fast as he can. I think it's going short side and goes back against the glove. And uh, it, those ones just suck. Uh, but it's a two-on-one yeah. at that point. If that pass gets through, then your goalie is just in desperation mode. He's got to try and bail out his defenseman and his team. And uh, it was a good pass by Spencer. He kind of sold the shot, too, uh, before he made that uh, nice aerial pass. Not much he could do on it, really. I mean, mm-hmm. he the first three goals especially, there wasn't a ton he could do. You could argue maybe he should have challenged the on the Pollock goal a little bit, but he just yeah. like I think two minutes prior to that, he was getting run into a couple times. So I can understand yeah. maybe not wanting to go out and challenge Roman Pollock, who would probably have no problem running him over if he did so. So yeah. uh, and you're I, also yeah, and you're and you're also thinking Pollock is it. He's not a goal scorer. Yeah, he's not going to do that. So it's like I think he maybe even just been surprised. That, well, oh, he's shooting. <laughs> yeah, like oh, surprise! Uh, so yeah, yeah, you can't. It, it just so many things start to happen for goalies, and if it's a consistent thing where all of a sudden your your team's not playing good defense, you start second guessing easy plays, and then that's when the, everything's lost. You start second guessing easy shots, then they they all start going in, and it's a it's just goes back to he's, he can't really trust the the team that's playing in front of him at this point. They haven't given him a reason to trust them. Yeah, uh, I mean, he does follow it up, though, with probably his best save of the night, I would I would think, because Ben sets up Nachushkin alone, and he oh, makes a great yeah. pad save. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nachushkin shoots it into him, let's be fair, but, I mean, Gibson's in a good enough position where he's able to kick out the pad and make the save. 
Yeah, that that was one. He he had another one, I think, in the third that I would probably qualify as his best one. It was like a three-on-one, and he just stared yeah. it down and got it with his shoulder, his, his arm, or something like that. I thought that one was the one that could have easily been uh, you know, a goal and, and didn't he turn that one away. But this one, I mean, that one's probably the biggest save in the fact that if it goes in at that point, you can pretty much go, okay, everything's kind of downhill at this point. It didn't take long. Someone no. else will do it. Yeah, it was, <laughs> exactly. I mean, it didn't take long because after that, Honka sets up. I mean, there was some a lot of really good stretch passes in this game because Julius Honka sets up Matthias Janmark with a great pass. It goes through pretty much every Ducks player on the ice, and it sets up uh, Janmark for pretty much a breakaway because Josh Manson can't do much on that one. And again, what is John Gibson supposed to do on this? Because he's in alone, and Janmark makes a great shot to the blocker side. Not much you can do if you're Gibby. He came out and challenged it, did everything he could. Yeah, I mean, give credit where credit's due. That was a good shot. And when you're coming down the, the right side and you're able to blast the shot, blocker side, uh, for those of you who don't know, that blocker, it, it's heavy, it's awkward, it's not something that you're used to kind of moving in that, that fashion. So if it's a hard shot and it's somewhat accurate, um, it's it's really tough to do much of anything with the blocker. Gloves a little bit easier. People can catch and you get good at catching things. But uh, that blocker uh, that blocker shot was it, was it was a bomb. It was a good shot. And yeah, like you said, he, he did everything he did or wanted to do. But give credit where credit's due. It was a good shot. Yeah, and, and then I mean, after this, we saw I think three or four instances of four and four hockey, a couple four and threes, a lot of offsetting minors, different slashing penalties here and there. <laughs> That was pretty much it. Uh, the Ducks had a good play by Lindstrom. He he had a, a couple of good plays. He had the one in the first, had this one here on the wraparound that Bishop denied. And then in the third, we'll get to later, he has a shot where he actually has a wide open net, and it's Klingberg who comes back and gets a stick on yeah, him. But the last one, yeah. One of his better games, I think, offensively, when you're looking at like chances that he had, I, I think he just mm-hmm. couldn't convert on it. But then... Oh, man. Uh, this, this goal, I think, frustrated me the most because you've got... <laughs> Aberg and Lindholm, who had multiple chances yes. to clear this puck. It starts with Lindholm passing it to Aberg. Aberg gives it away, can't get it away. He's, and listen, they're fighting off Pitlick. They're not fighting off Jimmy yeah. Ben or Tyler Sagan. <laughs> and yeah. Lindholm gets beat. Yeah, and and Dickinson again out front. Nope, and nobody's covering him. Fowler's watching the puck, and it's it's an easy goal. I, I mean, just a poor defensive coverage from everybody on the ice. I mean, I've I've never I've said this in our Discord. Uh, I, I haven't seen a team be this bad with the puck behind their own net while they have full possession. They've yeah. got easy chances to get it out, and it's the second anyone gets close to them, these guys don't know where to throw it, who to throw it to, and it's either cleared out for icing, gets thrown out to the middle, uh, you know, so the other team can regroup and come back, or they just plain turn it over, and they just cannot seem to get it up and out consistently so it was really you know bad to see Lindholm kind of throw it and it's like passes get into the feet and then they kind of screw up a little bit then Auberg he loses it and then I even didn't like when Auberg lost it Lindholm goes to the front of the net but just kind of just drifts not really catching anyone Dickinson sitting in a nice little soft spot where Lindholm could have easily picked him up you know looked where to go instead he kind of just watches the play and then starts looking around after it goes in like oh yeah. yeah. All right. Ridiculous. So, I mean, even as good as Lindholm played, I felt on that one it was it was a bad shift by them and just poor execution. And say it again and again and again. These passes are just bad, and they're in their own defensive zone. These guys seem lost. 
Yeah, zone exit, zone entries have been a problem for the Ducks all season. It was on the first goal. Them just even controlling the puck behind their net was a problem on this one. That was pretty much it for the second period. Ducks are down. They were down five to two, outshot twenty-five to fourteen. But one thing I got to mention in the second period is, is up until that point, and I guess it continued for most of the game as well. Lindholm Holman Montour were just awful, and and I don't know how many more times that you have to put these guys together before you realize how bad it's been. I mean, up until this point, they had, I think, they were no high danger chances for, nine against up until that point. And scoring chances were just as bad. Ironically enough, they weren't on ice for a goal against at five on five. But just mm-hmm. the chances they were giving up, they didn't do anything offensively. And just when they're on the ice, they were giving up chances left, right, and center. And it was not the uh, the Stars' top line that was doing the damage. Yeah. I, I don't know what they're trying to do. I mean, uh, what was this, uh, game 11 now? And uh, the, the, this experiment has not worked. And we're, we're kind of running out of time. I mean, they you know even the wins that we had, those guys weren't the reason for it. If anything, they were the the reason that Gibby looks, you know, was forced to look amazing. So at this point, figure it out. It's that defense is not going to work again. Broken record. We just keep saying this, but until they do something different, or all of a sudden everything starts clicking, which I don't see happening, it was we're, we're going to be a broken record. These are going to be like really repetitive podcasts. Uh, yeah, they've they've all literally been the same for I think the last. At least the last least four, four, the last four losses, yeah. but pretty much the entire season. One last thing I want to note from that second period was just how bad Luke Shen had been as well. We already said he was responsible for both goals, but uh, at least the first two. The but first, just yeah. his play in this game, he had one good game this season where he played physical. Tried to do that this game, but just his defensive positioning was so bad that it doesn't really matter how many big hits he has or, or how many almost fights he gets into. Just his hockey sense is not that good. And he's just, for me, he's like the poster boy, him and Richie and a lot of the other guys, for when teams would draft these guys really high for their size and their physicality and, and just how yeah. bad it's turned out for a lot of them. I th- he was, I think, a third overall pick back when he was drafted. And just, I mean, no wonder he's bounced around from different teams. And, of course, he, he ends up on the Ducks and essentially – is a like for like comparison to what the Ducks had in Kevin Bieksa last year. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's I don't know exactly what they're gonna do. So they they've got to figure. I don't know, man. I'm depressed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I watch these games and I, I don't I don't have an answer for who else is gonna jump in there. Uh, you know, they're gonna be the bottom defensive guys at in any rate. But I feel the struggles of the top two defensive ones. You know, make it go like. All right, everyone's playing this bad, and this, you know, is just exacerbates it when he's playing out there and he's giving up the goals. At least the other lines you would hope can kind of cut down on the chances, but they're not doing it either. So, yeah, I don't know what they're they're going to do uh, short of putting back what worked last year. Yeah, and I don't know how many games that has to be that bad to really decide to do that. Uh, that's on Randy Carlo, of course. Uh, and we'll go through the third period really quick because uh, at this point I stopped writing down a lot of the notes, and also not much honestly happened because Dallas just kind of took their foot off the gas. Understandable, they're up 5-2, to two and the Ducks aren't, weren't really generating anything up until that point anyway. I think a couple penalties here and there, Bishop for tripping, Manson for holding, Gibbons for tripping, nothing happening on the power play for either team. As I mentioned earlier, Lindstrom had that chance where Klingberg 
uh, ties up his stick, and then there was a three-on-one that Gibson saved. But that was pretty much it for the third period. And what do you know? The shots ended up eclipsing 40 again, 40-25 to 25 for Dallas. Uh, how many games is it going to be like this this year? Because it, if it's know. all 82, it's going to be a long year. Uh, yeah, and uh, you know, to that point of Dallas not really kind of putting much effort into it. I mean, uh, at that point, you know, they got to probably expect that the Ducks were going to try and really kind of push the issue. So they had shorter line changes. They were just kind of being ready in case that ever happened. And then never really happened about the happiest i got that whole third period was about 30 seconds on one of the power plays where the ducks were passing it all over and i still think they didn't get a shot or they got maybe one shot through and that was after 30 seconds and then the next line came out and they were god awful didn't get anything set up and it kept getting cleared they're losing face-offs uh they were bad on face-off circle this this time around as well so it was just execution was horrible again yeah I mean, at least, as we mentioned in the beginning, they are not as bad as 2017 Coyotes yet because yeah, they didn't but I mean, quite hit it. Isn't this another game where they, they gave up uh, you know, more shots against but in double digits? And yeah. that's been 11 games in a row. So you can say, oh, well, they were above 500 coming in. Well, they're getting, they're getting demolished in the shots and shot attempts and shots yeah. you know, you know, that are blocked and things like that all kind of count for – you know, going against you, who's driving the play? And the Ducks just fall short in every single game, and not by a small margin, by a large margin. No, they're, they're by far the worst possession team in the entire league. They are the worst team when it comes to shot differential. The only thing they are the best at is save percentage. Uh, them and I think it's Colorado are the two teams that are leading that way. The difference is Colorado's good at a lot of other things, and they have, I believe, a 7-2-2 two, two record. So that's a little bit different because they're actually doing some things right. For the Ducks, the, literally the only thing going right is John Gibson. And that's why you know he leads the league in high danger save percentage. He leads the league... And save or not in save percentage, but in, in goals saved above average. I mean, he's way, way yeah. above everybody else. He, the other day <laughs> he was at eleven, and now yeah. I think he was at nine. Oh, just under ten when I checked today. That's insane. Yeah, yeah, and not sustainable either. Oh, no. and by the way, it's pronounced Colorado, not Colorado. Ah, well, you know, it's I, I don't like Canadian it accent. <laughs> is, uh, at least I don't. So you got to find tackles. something to be happy about here. <laughs> so. All right, well, I mean, the, the one of the things that came up in this, I didn't really hear anything about it. Uh, Ehlers and Hayward brought it up on the broadcast. Is Nick Ritchie at the end of the second went to the locker room. I mm. don't know if he returned. I didn't really, again, as I said, I, I tuned out a bit in the third period as, as many people yeah. did. I didn't really see if he came back. I wasn't paying attention to who was on the ice, per se, so mm. I don't know if he's back or not. I didn't notice him out there, but I, once again, same thing. I really kind of wasn't paying too close attention to the game um, at that point, which is horrible if I'm going to have a podcast afterwards. But yeah, really. quite quite honestly, the, the game was, <laughs> was far over at that point. Um, I was wondering because when they had that little scrum after Getzloff's goal, I remember really quick, and this is before I'd even you know realized that he had been out, um, the trainer was over kind of by his side and uh, it seemed like it was something with his arm or something like that once again I don't know if that was it I just noticed the trainer was kind of leaning over his shoulder and he seemed to be kind of talking about his arm so I don't know if in that whole scuffle you know, it's, it sprained or strained something who knows but uh, at that point if you're you're down 5-2 and your team's not really generating much why why try and risk uh, further injuring it and just you know just take that last period off and wait till we get home because we got a long long set of games in california coming up 
Yeah. Uh, the, the question I think for a lot of people now is, is how bad can this get? Because it hasn't changed. They've been playing the same way all season and luck has finally caught up to them. And the last four yeah. games have, have really been up how all games should have gone this season. You, normally your goalie could bail you out of a couple. Gibson bailed them out of five at the beginning yeah. of the season. Hasn't been able to do it lately. So, so how bad can this get? Are they the yeah the other question I guess I have for you too is that I mean there's there's a lot of injuries to the Ducks and a lot of injuries to key players. Uh, I mean, do you think getting some of those players back fixes their problems? A lot of people seem to think so. I, we we talked about this yes uh, not yesterday but on the last show too is is mm-hmm. is Eves, Kasha, Silverberg, and eventually Perry enough to turn things around for this team. I think it gets a little bit better. Uh, but it, it, then you know, goal scoring should go up when you have Silver come back if he continues playing the way he was because he was arguably the Ducks' best forward. If Kasher comes back and does anything close to what he did last year, yeah, that that's going to help. And and Patrick Eves, if if he gels with Ryan Getzlaff, that's going to help. And even mm-hmm. a subpar Corey Perry could help, and it would be better than maybe playing you know Gibbons or Brownie or Ben Street. Like obviously that's an upgrade. So yeah, things could get better. Uh, but you know, I don't think they're going to come in and, and change a double-digit shot differential. I don't think if they're all in this game, they all of a sudden outshoot the stars and play significantly better. Uh, the, the system again is is always going to be the same as long as Randy Carlisle is here. So it, it could get really bad. I, I think you know to answer that question, it it could because there's really no signs of anything changing. They still want to go with the same defense pairings and, and don't really want to try out what worked last year and. Whether that's Carlisle or Wilfred, I, I don't I don't know. And, and from here on out, I really don't know what they can do to change things unless it's a new style that comes in, and you can't do that unless you fire Randy Carlisle. But he has no grounds for firing from management if you look at it. The Ducks are still a 500 team, which, I mean, obviously they haven't deserved it. We can all see that. And then he's also got the injury thing to fall back on, so I don't see it happening now. But if they were to lose the next five, then mm-hmm. you know it could be grounds for that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't think that they're them coming in is going to change the style of play in such a way that their defense starts playing better. They might they might chip in a couple more goals, and we maybe lose this game five three or five four. But I mean, you know, we're still going to lose that because of how we were playing defense uh, in front of Gibby. So I'm kind of the same boat there. Drew says tank for Eakins in the chat, and, <laughs> and a lot of people are bringing up lose for Hughes. So I don't know yeah. if it's going to get that, but I don't. I mean, I don't know I don't if they're so. the worst. The, the Kings are still in the division, right? Yeah, and there's still some, <laughs> some very very bad teams in the league. So I don't think it's going to get get that bad. I mean, the Ducks, at least shot attempts wise, are, are the worst team. But there's, you know, when you've got a goaltender like John Gibson, you're still going to win more games than others. Um, yeah. Do you have anything else you want to get to the questions? Let's get to the questions and forget this damn game. There's a lot of questions, and I can only imagine they all surround them. What are we <laughs> going to do now? Uh, yeah. So we got Tom, our uh, Paul Korea ticket winner, uh, on Twitter. Ooh. He's asking, I struggle to see what is different from last year's system other than that they try to execute it faster and cannot pass accurately. What needs to change? If players cannot accurately pass the puck or win puck battles, can any system succeed? So what needs to change to answer the first part? 
Yeah, I mean, well, one is going to be the execution for sure. I mean, I, I, I can't I, every at least once a shift, and that's every shift out there. There's a pass in the feet, or is a pass that actually gets to the stick. If we get that lucky yeah. that it actually gets to the stick, it deflects off of it, or they they chip it off. I mean, there's just there's so rarely do they actually execute a play with multiple passes that actually works and even when they do that they seem really hesitant to try and throw it at the net they either try and look for that home run play or they they're trying to look for a third guy or a late person coming in i'd rather see them just put their head down and fire it so i mean that i feel simplify it stop trying to do these good passes but at least make the passes good somewhere where they can accept it Go in, get a shot, throw it at the goalie's feet, make them do something, and look for rebounds. I mean, get get dirty about it. Right now, they're not. I just feel like they keep trying to look for that last guy who's going to be wide open and make a highlight reel goal, and I'm tired of it because it's not it's not working. No, it, it hasn't worked all season. So it, it, to, to answer this question, like what needs to change, you're not going to see Randy Carlisle change his system. I mean, that doesn't happen pretty much anywhere the coaches get where they're at because they have a system that's either worked somewhere and they've utilized that system in a way that it's worked unfortunately Randy Carlisle's system just doesn't work anymore and I don't really see him you know he had all summer to change it up they had been hyping up change that they're going to play faster he had all summer to work on that so I don't think it's going to change halfway through the season he's just going to all of a sudden figure something out and be like yeah we're going to do this now and it's going to work I mean He's going to do pretty much what he has now and just try and change the lines up. Like, that's all he can do is change the lines up and go back to a Bruce Boudreaux line rolling situation we had a couple of years ago. So, I don't think anything's going to change. I don't think this system can necessarily succeed because it's not like any small thing is good on, on this system. It's just awful as a whole. You know, when you're bottom in shot attempts and you're bottom in a lot of categories it's revolving around that and you're clearly overperforming. There are too many things going wrong for you to change one thing and hope that it works. And that includes bringing guys back healthy. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, um, they're not executing. That doesn't help it. But even if they were executing in passes, um, once again, I mean, the, the passes that they're trying for just seem to be the long distance passes and they're looking for home runs and it works a couple of times, especially with Comtois getting, you know, that very first goal. And he's, he's had those chances, but there's so few and far in between. I'd rather just see the system change slightly where let's break it out. Let's break it out with speed and let's make sure we're getting it out of our zone. Cause at this point, the defensemen pick their head up and they don't know what they're doing. That's the other thing. Yeah. You can see them thinking about what they need to do rather than being instinctual. Something where they just throw it. You know, They, they kind of know where guys are going to be and guys are going to move there. They have to pick their head up and they have to take that second to look around and try and figure out exactly what they want to do with it. And, and that's a systems problem. I mean, if people are kind of guessing at what they need to do, you're going to get a lot of these turnovers. You're going to get a lot of these, I can't get it out. Eventually, they just get tired of it and they have to flip it out and it just comes right back into them so then they all got to get on the same page and then once they're on the same page they got to execute it but they got to simplify what the hell they're doing yeah uh randall asked on twitter he said rumor was the vet stopped trying last time so carlisle would get fired the, the first time he was here uh, are <laughs> yeah. we seeing more of the same i don't know guess i'll put up two goals so i mean if he wanted him fired i don't think he would have tried all that hard uh, for uh, either of the goals so what vets <laughs> they're all out of the lineup pretty much yeah yeah that too you're right yeah. so, yeah, they're, they're all pretending to be injured maybe <laughs> so they don't have to play no 
this even when they were winning and everyone was patting each other on the backs um you could just tell it you know they, they were just getting lucky and now they're just not as lucky so i, I don't feel it's anything where they want to get rid of him quite honestly I, I really wouldn't think unless they won the stanley cup anyways that carlisle was even going to come back and uh you know be back or be a factor moving forward so this is just kind of last hurrah it might go a little bit quicker like you said if things uh don't really kind of uh turn around from this current losing streak to kind of go off that uh, kent basically asked how many more games does randy carlisle have behind the bench if things continue let's just have a Mm. hypothetical situation if the ducks lose the next five games so it would be a, t- a nine-game losing streak. Does Randy Carlisle still here as a coach? No. Nah, I mean, I think at that point, yeah, Bob Murray, he, he will get frustrated. And if he yeah. gets frustrated and he thought he, he put a team together and he told people that he was trying to put a team together, um, and partly he's going to save his own butt by firing the coach. And especially if the, the losing or the the – uh, the way they're playing, if even if they somehow string together a couple of wins, but if they're still playing this way and when some of these players come back from injuries and they're still playing this way, I think that's a very short leash he's on because they don't really have – they're not going to lose a whole lot of money if they fire him. And they can kind of just write this season off saying the coach sucked. And so Bob Murray kind of saves his butt a little bit. It's easier to get rid of a coach than it is to get rid of a whole bunch of players and to also get rid of a whole bunch of, you know, your, your staff like that. It's easier for the GM to kind of make a move like that. So I don't think the, the rope is long uh, at this point. Um, I could see him gone within the next 10 games if uh, they, they don't even really kind of come close to competing. Yeah, because it's not like they're playing well and getting unlucky and losing games or they're close mm-hmm. games and they're losing them in overtime or even just losing in regulation. I mean, they're getting outplayed every single game. They were out, they've been outshot every game this season except for the game against Detroit. And then they they tied in shots against St. Louis 31-31. to I think we could both agree maybe those were two of their better games this year. Mm-hmm. The game against the Islanders was a decent game, but again, that was kind of lucky in the way they won that one, even though it was 4-1. So yeah, I don't. I don't think he he has much longer if they continue to play this way because they've been they've been playing so awful that uh, that's going to really kind of force their hand. Uh, not, again, I'm moving to Instagram here, but a lot of the questions. Cat uh, Ray asked, "How much longer do you think they keep playing like this until Randy Carlo gets fired?" We just answered that. Um, so this is like something you brought up earlier. Seagag says, "Do you guys ever notice that it's like everyone scores their first goal against us, like the first of the season, first of the career?" Uh, four of the five <laughs> goals tonight were first. Dickinson had yeah. his first two of the season. Uh, yeah, it just it happens all the time. Yeah, I mean, and it'll happen in like the fifty-fifth game of the season for someone else. Yeah. It's like, oh, he's played fifty-five games in this rookie career, and uh, he just scored his first goal ever. Hey, it's the game winner in overtime. Amazing. It just it never seems to fail. It's something I've noticed for. So like five or six years at least, I, I feel like that's been uh, a thing that I've, I've seen a lot more. It's just like, of course it's his first goal. Oh, of no. course. And <laughs> if it's not somebody's first of the season, it's like Brandon Saad last year where he hadn't scored a goal in like 20 games. And then he the, yeah. the Ducks played. Yeah. I think he was with Columbus at the time. Maybe I don't remember <laughs> if the Panarin trade had been made. But either way, he scored two in that game. 
and yeah. sort of rebounding his season, then just went right back to sucking right after that. <laughs> yeah, and he did, that was the same thing against Chicago. That was his first two goals of the entire season this year. So, yeah. I mean, he had two goals in that game too. So uh, I think he, he hopes Anaheim comes around a little bit more often because he seems to do yeah. pretty well against us. But, yeah, no, that, that that's... Just watch. You'll, you'll, if you're listening, you'll, you'll, you'll see that it'll be uh, game 45 or something like that. Yeah. They go, oh, that's the first goal of the season for him. Yeah, it's like ugh. it's uncanny how often it happens. Um, it's weird. Most of the questions, the rest of the questions, at least on our Instagram post, are when is Randy Carlo going to get fired? How many more games until he gets fired? Um, <laughs> the last one here is a little bit different, still regarding Randy Carlo, of course, because that's what every question essentially for every podcast has been. But uh, he says, I think you guys should discuss the Carlisle line jumbling. So we'll start with that because he has a couple more questions. What do you think of the line jumbling, uh, jumbling going back to what uh, Bruce Brujo made so famous in Anaheim? Um, it's not working. <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of where yeah. I, I sit on that. Um, he's, he's he's grabbing for anything because those are the last four four games they have six goals or something like that. Um, you know, without Silverberg uh, going up there, I mean, everyone's struggling between Henrique, Raquel, Getzloff finally had two goals. But, I mean, we're 10 games in, and uh, these guys have not put in the numbers, and it doesn't seem to matter what line they're on. Uh, I'd, be, I'd be far happier if he starts juggling the defensive lines rather than the offensive lines. Let's, let's fix that part first, and then maybe we start getting some outlet passes to these guys, and uh, hopefully things start syncing up a little bit. Yeah, I mean... It- the, the line jumbling just it, it hasn't been like a small small thing at least with Boudreaux was there was one line that was always together and then at least the jumbling was like maybe switching a couple guys from you know Perry would go from the first line to third line or you would have somebody jump up uh, to the top line and that was it it was always like there was a couple guys that you always knew were going to play together this year it's been all over the place kind of because of the injuries but the, when, when you're starting to put Street and Auberg with Ryan Getzlaff that that's desperate line jumbling that's not line jumbling to you know create harder matchups or create difficult uh, you know situations for other teams or, or you know you're looking at what they have to bring to the table and you're trying to match up against them. That's the difference between what Bruce Boudreau did and what Randy Carlo is doing. He's just desperate trying to find something to work. I mean, nothing, no line had shown. I think the only one this season was come to a Henry and Silverberg that really you're like, okay, that line's good. The yeah. rest of them this year, nobody has developed any chemistry with anybody and you you see it on the ice it's just disorganized yeah and it hasn't worked and like you said i mean i know they're trying to give the young guys a little bit of a, a chance here um but i mean what's what's Getzloff can only do so much to set up so many of yeah. these people so it's going to be a, <laughs> a a rough one until they they get something that's consistently good and they're, they're it's just more of a system play, not necessarily line juggling. Because, like I said, I mean, they're, they're, everyone's thinking about what they have to do, and it's not instinctual. I mean, you can try and find chemistry, but if you keep doing that within a game, you keep going guys who, you know, haven't been here, haven't really played it before, they're trying to learn it on the go. So it gets a little bit more difficult when you start changing up who they're they're going to play on the line with. So it's you lose some of that not having to think about it and just being able to create plays. You, you, they've got to think about how they're – playing with who they're playing and how they play it just it just adds at this point it just adds another layer of difficulty so yeah i i, I don't get it i mean again I'm, I'm into our instagram story now for questions and a lot of them are pretty much questions we've already got to yosef asked how much improvement do we see when guys come back from injury i mean we said 
a little bit, but not enough to really maybe make a offensively some, but it's yeah. not going to solve their bigger problems. Yeah, uh, Keith had two questions. He he asked if, if tonight was going to be a clip show from the last ten games because they've all pretty much been the same. Um, you see, I want to I want to come on to uh, Forever Mighty and actually have something interesting and cool to say. But when it's the exact same thing over and over again, I yeah. feel like I'm here and I'm like, all right, well, I don't have to contribute much. <laughs> it's just uh, yeah, whatever we said last week, just add again. Yeah, yeah, and it'll probably be the same for the next game too. I, I, unfortunately, I mean they, they've given us no hope to really look forward to. Um, Keith had another question. He said, "Is it too soon to start playing for Jack Hughes?" I, I think so. As bad as this team is, I don't think they're the worst team in the league. Yeah, I don't think they can drop down that low without. Even if Gibson is injured, I mean Ryan Miller is still a good goalie on top of it. Yeah. I mean these these guys are in trouble anyways, obviously, but. Uh, there's a lot of other teams in a whole lot, you know, bigger hole than, than we are right now. Yeah. So, I mean, even when, when we suck, we're able to find a way to put up five wins in the first, you know, seven odd games. So, yeah, I think the difference for the Ducks is if they get to a point where they're trending to be that bad, Randy Carlo will be fired and a new mm-hmm. person will come into the dressing room and hopefully implement a new style that maybe might not make them good, but I would assume any system right now would make them a little bit better. And as we said, guys coming back from injury, it, it's going to help out. The Ducks still have some superstars in this team and Ryan Getzlaff and Ricard Raquel. And, of course, John Gibson and Ryan Miller can win you a game on any night of the week. So they still yeah. have enough to stay a 500 team, maybe a little bit below if, if Randy Carlisle was to stay here all season. I, honestly, the lowest I could see them finishing is, you know, 7, 8, or 9 in, in draft. Like, that, yeah. that's – so oh. bottom – bottom 10 but not you know not all the way to the bottom I, I can't see them being that bad there's some god-awful teams in this league yeah. that have nothing going for them at all so i, I don't see being that bad yeah and we're also always used to uh the ducks kind of starting off stumbling out of the gate seems to be something that they they do a lot and they dig yeah. themselves a hole and then find a way to get out of it now that could hopefully happen things start clicking but uh you start to panic when those wins are, are uh, the wins that you do have are so bad and there's just the execution is just so bad when you know that you know the, those guys can they can do better and they're not and so at some point they're going to get some you know, lucky things and it just i can't see them being that all that bad yeah i i i just i, I hope it doesn't get, <laughs> i mean i guess i mean if it gets that bad at least you get jack hughes but i i I don't know. I, if it was bad enough that they were in the position, a good position to win the lottery, uh, then I mean, it. We were kind of expecting these years eventually for the Ducks, but not maybe not this year. I, I nah. think a little, you know, a couple years down the road. Um, Stephen asked, "Who could the Ducks trade for, and who would they trade?" So, if you had somebody in mind, who do you think the Ducks should trade for? Um, once it's again, tough. it. it yeah, it's tough, especially if you, you got to think of the entire league. But you probably look at the maybe a team that's that's struggling, or you know, one that seems to realize that it's probably not going to happen. Then maybe want to kind of move some players. You know, once again, you can throw out you know Nylander from yeah. Toronto seems to be in kind of that the dispute. But once again, he's in a dispute over money, and the Ducks aren't a team that's going to give him money either. So it's it's tough to to make that happen without shipping off some significant money to toronto and toronto doesn't want to take that money either so i'm not quite sure who they're going to bring in that would change anything once again i you know you need a superstar or a complete game breaker to make that happen and the ducks aren't going to do that so there's 
whoever they would try and get wouldn't be anybody that would make any difference to this team where they stand right now. So, uh, so whoever, yeah. no, <laughs> whoever, whoever you want to want to have on your team, let's just say that person. It's too early because nobody is in a position right now where they're like, oh, we're out of it. Even if you start the season poorly, you're not in that position to make a trade yet because anything can happen. Again, the only guy available is is a guy the Ducks can't get in, William Nylander. He's really the only guy, I think, available on the market, at least a difference maker. And the Ducks have the assets probably to make it happen. You would assume it would center around one of Manson or Montour and then probably Jakob Silverberg going back the other way because they won't be able to re-sign him for sure if they have to yeah. sign William Nylander. Um, but I just I can't see it happening. It, and even him coming in, you know, he makes this team better, but you throw him right into the, the system that just uh, doesn't really benefit the way he plays. Yeah, I, I think it's far more likely that uh, Bargain Bob goes and finds some guy who hasn't signed a contract yet and gives him a million dollars and uh, uh, you know the low uh, high ri- uh, low risk high reward possibility. I think it's far more likely he does something like that than pulls a trigger on a trade right now. He's it's just kind of not really his style at, at this point. Yeah, uh, so I'm moving into some questions from the chat. Uh, Matt asked if we can underperform Ottawa. Uh, do you think it will get that bad? Ottawa is somehow doing a semi-decent yeah. job. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, with, with the uh, you know the dumpster fire that uh, that whole thing should be. Um, if the Ducks don't change what they're doing, uh, I, you know, but at this point, uh, that's a that's a possibility because I mean, Ottawa is kind of doing that thing they did uh, not last year but the year before, where they're kind of surprising teams a little bit. Where you, you go in thinking, well, this is a dumpster fire. I don't, we don't maybe have to try, and then they kind of surprise you. Um, the so th- that kind of seems to be a theme on a lot of it, and that's a, a testament to the. Uh, 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 disparity in the league there are no easy wins anymore i mean you you can get a team that's down in the dumps vancouver was supposed to be god-awful and they were still putting things together they're getting a little banged up now so that's kind of not working but i think they won just the other night too so it, it's there's there's not a lot of easy games and so if you if that team is desperate like ottawa or you know they want to show themselves they'll they'll uh they can execute they've already shown that the ducks are not executing they need to fix that quick yeah. That's a possibility, I would say, yeah. I mean, that's a definite possibility. It is, yeah, because somehow Ottawa is playing good. I guess the desperation of not having a first-round pick might do that to, to your team and your coaching staff. But uh, Matt had another question in the chat. He's wondering if Perry's struggles have moved us closer to the Ducks' losing years. So if Perry comes back uh, and he's not any better, he continues to struggle, this team continues to struggle. How close are the Ducks to completely buying into the rebuild? I don't think they're going to do a complete rebuild like you would almost like want the Rangers to do where you break it down, yeah. just strip it all down, trade away some of those assets and build it back up. I don't think that'll happen. I think what would happen is, uh, once again, uh, you do uh, uh, team-friendly contracts and then you kind of hope that Kessler gets done and yeah. Perry retires and you, you hope maybe some of those contracts come off of the books uh, rather than do a full-on teardown of the, the whole team because, uh, yeah, if Perry comes back again, he's playing injuries, I mean, it's it's up to him if he wants to keep playing at that point. But uh, same thing with, uh, you know, the, the 
I just don't see it because the Ducks aren't really at this point in a market where you can be that ineffectual for too long and keep a really tight fan base. So, yeah, it, it's just I, I think for the Ducks, it's not a full rebuild because you have such a young blue line, you have such a young dynamic goaltender, you've got the smaller pieces in place in Lindstrom and Steele and Comtois and Sherwood and, and you know Max Jones when he gets here, Troy Terry. You've got all these pieces that can fill out and make a really good top nine. Uh, the, the only thing they're missing is a direct Ryan Getzlaff replacement of an elite number one center and then maybe a Corey Perry in his prime type replacement of, of a guy who can score 30 or 40 goals. Those things aren't easy to come by. So if it's not a full rebuild, which I don't think it will be, the Ducks are going to have to uh, hit on a couple top 10 picks. It might be a couple years where they miss the playoffs and they have to bank on, on hitting on a, a you know a 1 to 10 pick, whatever that may be. You know, if that ends up being this year, it speeds the, the process along a little bit because then that player would be coming off their ELC if they're signed at the end of this year at the same time that uh, Ryan Getzlaff and Corey Perry's contracts are up and I have no idea if that's going to be the case, but that's that's really how far they are away. And, and to be honest, that's kind of really far away. You know, you've got all the smaller yeah. pieces, but you're you're left trying to find the biggest pieces of a rebuild, and that's another franchise player, and arguably two franchise players. I mean, Getzlaff and Perry for the the last you know ten years have been the faces of this franchise and have been the franchise players for this team. So trying to replace them is going to be hard, and you're not going to find, or you're, you're most likely not going to find them at the same position you got them before in the late in the first round. It just doesn't happen now with the uh, the scouting ability that's in the league and the ability to access information on players from all over the world. So I think it's going to take a couple bad years, but if they can hit on the picks, and I have all the faith in the world in the, yeah. the drug scouting. scouting staff and, and Martin Madden that they can if they have that pick and they they have the chance to draft that high, I don't think they make another mistake like Nick Ritchie. I think they would end up drafting a player who'll make a big difference for this team. Yeah, and I'm just saying, my my son Jack, he's seven months old now, but yeah. I already know he's going to have a wicked wrister. <laughs> so uh, if you're listening, scouting staff, he's 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 almost ready at that draft age. So. Yeah, 17 more <laughs> years down the road or so. Yep. And then when the Ducks are maybe entering in another rebuild after the some of the players they drop now, then then maybe, maybe that. Yeah, and homegrown too. So Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, last question I have to get to is we didn't get to it on the last show because every time I get DM'd a question, I completely forget about it. But uh, Jens Lingberg, I hope I didn't completely butcher his name, but he was asking us, what about former Swedish national team coach Richard Gronborg? as potentially replacing Randy Carlisle. Apparently he's looking for a coaching job in the NHL, and he has experience at the championship last year coaching both Raquel and Lindholm and uh, Jakob Silverberg as well. So he has experience with a lot of the Ducks' Swedish players, and I don't know his coaching history or, or if, he, uh, if he's had any experience other than the Swedish national team, but that could be an interesting replacement I haven't really heard about. Yeah, no, that I agree. Yeah, that's uh, one, you know, it's kind of one of those odd ones that you don't really hear about, but you kind of see how the Ducks have drafted and who, who their upcoming you know, stars are between Lundstrom, uh, even, uh, uh, Peterson, uh, Peterson, and uh, yeah, uh, Raquel, Lindholm, and Silverberg. So, I yeah. mean, there's there's a Swedish connection there, so why not maybe give him a chance? I, I feel they, they might 
let Eakins maybe kind of do that yeah. a little bit, maybe give him that that chance. I mean, they they have him signed for the next little while, and he's really good with younger players. And the team's gonna hopefully start being a little bit younger and a different voice. And he knows who's good in the minors, who can get called up, and might be able to work within his system. And if you're looking at trying to keep things on the cheap for a while, Eakins might be a little bit more suited for that. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, it's it's quite possible given the 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 direction Anaheim's gone with a lot of their draft picks in the uh, Swedish way. Yeah, I, I mean, it's never a bad thing to. I mean, we talk about Eakins coming up and having experience working with a lot of these players and being around the organization. It's never a bad thing if you can get a coach from uh, from an outside source that's had experience with your players before. So that that could be an interesting one. I, I think if Carlisle was to get fired mid season. It, it only makes sense to bring up Dallas Eakins and then mm-hmm. look for somebody, uh, probably an assistant coach, to replace Dallas Eakins for the rest of the season down there and kind of have an interim head coach. Uh, Dallas Eakins has experience with that before, I believe, in mm-hmm. uh, Toronto. In Ottawa. Or Dallas, Ottawa. Dallas, uh, Dallas, yeah, Ottawa, I, Ottawa. Edmonton. Yeah, Edmonton. I believe he was an interim head coach in Edmonton for a little bit. So he has experience doing head coach that for type a while. of job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so maybe. I think that's the most likely option. We can look uh, at uh, Richard Gromberg as well as, as possibly being a secondary option, but it, it's all speculation at this point. It's a little bit too early to really think anything. You know, the Ducks don't have any signs of turning anything around, but I think uh, for now it's just we kind of got to wait and see what happens. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty much it. I've got to bring up a couple things because I forgot to bring them up at the beginning of the show. Um, if you didn't see on social media, we just gave away finally – the uh, third jersey giveaway that we've been running all summer. Uh, cool Hockey yeah. just got in the Ducks third jerseys, I believe, last week. So we were finally able to end that giveaway. And we gave it away to Chris Hurt, who's actually in our chat right now. Uh, so Ooh. he's going to be getting a new Ducks third jersey from Cool Hockey when they get the sizes in. Because they sold out in like five hours of large <laughs> and extra large. So they, uh, whatever they get those sizes in or if they have the size that he wants, we'll send it out to him. And we'll be Lucky to do... bastard. I know, yeah. I, I don't even have one. And we're giving <laughs> I know, one right? Away. Neither one of us. <laughs> we're giving one away each month, too, through Forever Mighty Three Stars. I updated yep. the leaderboard, but I haven't put it out, so I'm just going to put out the with updated tomorrow. But right now we have a tie uh, before tonight's game <sighs> between oh. Ricky Bradley, who was our winner, one of our winners last year, I think last our year, first yeah. winner. And then uh, Twitter handle, uh, the NW Chica is tied. They're both tied at 10 points with a couple people behind them with 8 and 7. How many games are left? One, two? Uh, I think two or three more games left. They have one on on Sunday and then another one on Tuesday. I think that's So, yeah, so there's at least two. Yeah, that's two more games. There's there's enough time when we had a bonus question today. So, there's four chances to get points today. We'll probably do another bonus one before the end of the season just to kind of make things a little bit interesting. So, if you haven't checked, that out on twitter at forever mighty fm we post it uh, 45 minutes before each game and again like i said you have a chance to make some predictions and win some points to get on the leaderboard if you're just starting now you can try i, I don't i you think it's try. statistically I, I think impossible. it's mathematically impossible yeah. but hey to, maybe uh, you, it's your exhibition you get into the, get the some practice <laughs> yeah and then uh, make sure you get there for the first game in november and try and come out each night uh, and again, if you can't, uh, if if it's earlier in the day and you know you work later at night, uh, we had somebody DM me today. They say, "Hey, I'm not going to be able to be on t- on Twitter later. Just hit us up on Twitter. I'll send you the questions early, and you can get your predictions in early if that's the case." Uh, last thing too, we have to mention Cool Hockey because they are a sponsor, and they also sponsor for yes. everybody three stars and all our giveaways. 
they're the ones that are giving away jerseys for each of the Forever Mighty Three Stars. Any giveaways we do, they're great. I've got this jersey. You can't see if you're listening on speaker, but you can if you're on YouTube. I got this jersey from Cool Hockey. I get a lot of mine from Cool Hockey. It, it's just great stuff, and they've been great to us. I mean, the fact that they're giving us a jersey to give away each month is awesome. That's so. insane because, I mean, how much does that got to cost them? And it's just they're, they're helping it out, and we're, we're able to give it away to, you know, fans. So, I mean, yeah. it's awesome. And you can do any type of, you know, jersey that they have there in stock. So, and they do the, the numbering, the letters, everything on it. It's all free, so you can customize it. It's just amazing if you do it. But, you know, if you don't win or you're tired of losing <laughs> – just go to coolhockey.com and uh, use our uh, promo code FM20. You get 20% off of it. So it uh, supports us, supports them. Um, they're doing a great job. So yay. <laughs> yep. And the last thing, because I have all the promos possible at the end of the show, uh, if you mm-hmm. haven't checked out our Patreon yet, we've had two bonus shows go up. We had our Pucks and Brews bonus show. We had three. Uh, yeah, we have the top 10 one that's coming out soon. I don't think it's going to be released yet. We, okay. I mean, we recorded it last week but we're trying to oh, okay. we're still trying to release it so we've got that one that has to go up but if you haven't checked that out we have a preview of the pucks and brews show where we talk about cory perry showing up at fan fest and all the mess that went around with that uh that's on instagram twitter and facebook so check that out um but it, it's it's honestly a great platform for us to give a lot of you know get, talk about a lot of different topics give you guys a lot of bonus shows and different bonus content and then it helps us run the show and make it better as well. So check it out at www.patreon.com slash puckguysforevermighty. For, you know, there's a bunch of different tiers. There's a dollar, three dollars. Yeah, you can do a dollar a month. $10. Helps yeah. us out. <laughs> yep. So there, and there's plenty of bonus content if you want to go up to the $10, including the bonus shows like I mentioned before. And you get a Puck Guy or Forever Mighty bottle opener if you do the $10. Ooh. Which oh, we... Pat, We're I about believe, to get. Yes, we we've ordered them, and then we have to ship them out. So for the nine, I think people who are at the ten dollar one, they'll be coming out hopefully within the month. I mean, they're on their way. We just ordered them. We had the yeah, and they're more expensive than ten dollars that you even put into the tier. So yeah, <laughs> I mean, so you guys you are you guys are making out like bandits. Here. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, that's it. Hopefully, when we're back on Sunday. Uh, oh yeah, we don't know if we're, what's going on for Sunday yet. Uh, I yeah. might be doing it solo. I might have a special guest, or, or Pat, Pat might be here, depending on how, when he gets back from Colorado. Uh, I've decided to excuse myself because uh, every time I'm on, the Ducks suck. Well, as that, far as losing, <laughs> I think that's been the so. entire season so far. I've been on for every show pretty much, except for one, and the Ducks won when I wasn't on. So maybe we need Chip to get back <laughs> on because fault. she's one for one. Yeah. I don't know. All right. Yeah. Well, we'll be, <laughs> we'll be back on Sunday. Hopefully the Ducks can turn things down and get a win. Hopefully we can see some familiar faces back in Jakob Silverberg and Andre Kasha. Thanks, you guys, for listening on YouTube, second show on YouTube. For anybody who listened on Spreaker, you can check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. I think we just got an update that Pat will be on the show. And that came from his wife, so... Oh, she's a liar. Pat's though, not so. listening to the show because he's <laughs> on a flight to Colorado right now. So, yes. all right, guys, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you on Sunday. Bye, guys.